This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Lisa Goodlett, Chief Financial Officer at MUSC Health. Lisa, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about, but before we dive into our questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Uh, certainly. Um, I've been fortunate to um, have been a CFO in healthcare uh, since I was 26 years old, primarily in the Southeast. Um, I've worked with MUSC Health and other hospitals within South Carolina, but also Children's Health Care of Atlanta and University of Maryland Medical Systems, working on uh, M&A, uh, which used to be financial turnarounds, and that morphed into creating systems. So here recently, when I joined in 2017, we were a $2.4 billion system that in this most recent year will be $3.8 billion. So quite a lot of growth. Um, half has been through mergers and acquisitions, and half has been organically figuring out different revenue streams for our health system. So two kids, um, one is a junior in college and one is a freshman. So just enjoying, uh, enjoying them, uh, watching them move along their pathway in life. Wow, absolutely. That's significant. So in taking um, MUSC Health, you know, as an organization, um, you know, it, it really just helping explode it in size and strength. And then at the same time, being a mom at home to two children, what has that been like throughout your career? You know, what do you really attribute your success to having uh, balancing both that personal and professional and really being successful at both? Um, I think it's a, a fine balance. As a CPA, you know, we're trained heavily in processes, uh, but also being a people person. And I pay a phenomenal amount of attention to our culture, our team, making sure that we have the right people, and really being that air traffic controller advocate for them. But the balance has been interesting because my son and daughters play competitive tennis, gymnastics, and, and soccer. So it's it's figuring out there's been many a time I've had a, a stack of papers that I'm reviewing during timeouts on the soccer field or while we're waiting for the, the games to start. So you have to figure out how when to be present with them and make it meaningful and when you are with them because of differences in physical location where you have to be, but how you can still do your work work done. But early on, um, when they were younger, we did establish, hey, here's 90 minutes at night when it's family time, and we all sat together and um, had dinner and talked about the day with no phone calls and no phones at the table. And then we've always read to the kids, um, which I think has helped to make them very successful um, up until, you know, they were 13 or so when that happened. And now as they're young adults, um, I'm and obviously away from home, but I do make sure to travel once a month and take each one of them to dinner, just myself and them, you know, for that mentoring ship, because your your responsibility as a parent morphs from the day to day to what kind of advice and, and how do you guide them in a totally different fashion. So I find those dinners invaluable. That's actually a tip I le- learned from Hank Franey, the CFO of UMS, as his children moved out and up into college. Absolutely. Wow. I, I love that advice. And as a, a mother of a five-year-old and a five-month-old, I just, you know, love that idea. That's so helpful to think about things in that way. And, you know, I'm looking forward to um, evolving with them as a parent as well. <laughs> it's a, well, I applaud you. That's a fun time in life. Those are great ages. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. There's always something going on at our house. So, well, Perfect. And I think too, you know, I wanted to ask you um, from your vantage point as CFO, what are some of the big trends that you're following 
most closely in healthcare today? Uh, right now, I'm giving a lot of attention to inflation. Obviously, the news today of the um, activities between Russia and the Ukraine are, are disappointing, and that's going to put more stressors on our resources, not only supply chain, but just, um, you know, coming out of the impacts of COVID. So really, economic and inflationary pressures uh, starting to be thoughtful about we will have to find ways to replenish all the COVID funds that have flown through the federal and state level. So there are going to be challenges when our reimbursement stream has really been somewhat steady um, over the past eight or 10 years. So getting us prepared for challenges there. Uh, number two on the list is really work fatigue um, and finding that right balance between how do we have a remote working staff. One of my favorite people to follow, and it's a, a personal part of mine, is I, I expect my leaders to be in the office. And I think Jimmy Diamond with J.P. Morgan is a strong advocate for that. But also realizing that there are jobs within the organization that can be performed not on site, and people will benefit. You know, as um, gas prices are coming up, Ukraine and various areas are, are big wheat producers, so we see more commodity expense for our employees. And how do we get that right balance? We've, in our revenue cycle area, worked remotely for quite a while. Um, as performance changes, we've had to bring pe people in areas in and out of being able to work remote. So we're going through a real thoughtful process, um, layer by layer in the organization, to, to identify how does this um, unit really create value because sometimes productivity measures don't match with the value that entity needs to create and I'm enjoying it greatly because I get to connect with unit level leaders I may not see um, and their teams as they are designing hey this is this is how we create value and this is how I want you to measure me as I'm working remote if if that's my choice um, and I'll talk more about that later under things that we can do better the third thing is cyber Threats, really being mindful as we're, um, as the rest of the industry is, moving heavily into cloud transactions and changing our environment. How do we protect against cyber threats? And then going back to work fatigue, that succession planning. Who's the next man up on the team at key levels and how do we go forward are the four top things I'm worried about. Got it. That's really interesting to hear and think about, you know, both from kind of the economic standpoint with the inflation and action between Russia and Ukraine, and then the workforce issues, obviously something that every organization is thinking about and, and struggling with. And finally, cybersecurity um, and, and uh, how that all plays into the larger health system, some of the risks there that must be mitigated. Um, so when you think about all of this, you know, how are you thinking about strategic and financial growth for the organization over the next three to five months, as well as balancing you know, the immediate needs of what needs to happen today? Um, a lot of, as I mentioned earlier, we've done a lot of M&A activity in our state um, to make sure that we could take care of South Carolinians in South Carolina by having appropriate access. Um, but the future, I see, we're, we're focusing in our downstream relationships and more partnering. As an academic medical center, we're, we are very interested in partnering with people for how and entities, how do you create value. So currently our state is potentially doing heavy reform or CON repeal. Um, so that changes our capital planning, our financial structure, and how are we prepared to move forward. So what I enjoy, and probably the best part of my job, is we have a little private equity company called MUSC Solutions, and we're 
we're trying to grab new ideas to figure out how we can improve the traditional patient flow. Um, if it's remote monitoring for our patients, which has the economic benefit instead of a one-on-one sitter, maybe something through uh, virtual monitoring is more efficient and more happy for our relationships with our patients to hospitals at home. Um, we are working on a statewide provider for our home health and hospice services. And then with our uh, referring facilities and affiliates, how do we strengthen their relationship? Um, so we are investing heavily in Workday and have Epic, so we'd be able to deploy IT solutions for them at a lower price point and help them take some of the burden off their income statement pressure. Got it. I, I think that's really interesting to think about. And, you know, as you mentioned, just some of the, the changes in South Carolina, I know that's a very interesting um, state with the certificate of need. Um, and, you know, from your vantage point, what um, are there any other types of moves that you are making or pivots that you're, you're making, especially you mentioned earlier in the conversation, um, trying to find ways to replenish the COVID funds? And then in response to some of these policy changes, you know, how are you really um, responding to to those potential upcoming shifts um, within the healthcare landscape? Um, probably two venues come to mind there. Um, we are very engaged in investing in genetics and genomics. If you think about the possibilities there of being able to solve problems and prevent um, less than idea health conditions through DNA, and understanding those pieces. There's a lot of efficiency to be gained. Um, we recently, in one of our partner companies, have developed a protocol and some lab testing to make sure that we're administering the right amount of anesthesia, which in today's world, if you have a 200-pound male, you may think, hey, they need X amount. Maybe a 200-pound female needs that same amount versus they could actually need very different ranges of medicine. So what this test does it discriminates, so it eliminates waste and creates a better experience for the patient, um, posts those through understanding, you know, what's in their genetic composition. So we're we're real excited about that. That makes, you know, some people a little nervous about how are you going to use this, but it really can be to your benefit. Um, and then if we're struggling or have an unexplained diagnosis, there's a lot of history to be um, thought about by understanding what their genetic profile looks like. We've just um, are in process of working with a internationally famous pediatric uh, genetics and genomics company to kind of take what they've articulated and done so well in the pediatric world and how do we lift that up and apply that across the adult population and learning. So that's a good way for us to pull expense out of the system and also create a very um, much more profiled health experience and hopefully a better outcome for the patient. So that's one vertical we're going down. And then to the other part is really with our providers, I think similar to a lot of other organizations, um, the majority of physician comp is driven by RVU production, if you're employed or have that type relationship. And so that, that might not be the fit-all solution as we move forward in more value-based arrangements. Um, I think three years ago we maybe participated in two at-risk programs, and we're up to 19 uh, different parts as we're, we're learning, and we're willing to take a little bit of a loss to learn how do we care for a population differently. Well, as we do that, some of those activities we need the providers to do 
are not going to drive RVUs. So how do we change the compensation model to align with value? Um, so again, those those are two big things I think we're doing to differentiate ourselves with evaluating our provider compensation models and what we do with genetics and genomics. That's so interesting to hear about. Thank you, Lisa, for going through that with us. Now, where do you see as being some of the best areas for disruption in healthcare today? Um, I think a lot of it actually resides in ITs with our CEO, uh, Pat Cawley, a lot. Um, he'll say, well, there's a lot of digital transformation in your areas. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I, we, we certainly do want to do that and understand that. But I think I've always been a big proponent. Let's learn from other industries. Um, just sometime this week and in interacting with an investment company, instead of having to prove my identification, they took my voice imprint. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, we need that technology as we're talking to people about their care. Or how do we do these verifications? If you think about, um, you know, the check-in when you register and all those complicated steps, we can do it online. But if we have voice authentication, how do we pick up this technology other industries are using? We also, um, for patient refunds or, or other ways to interact with the patient commercially, we want to get into what Zelle and Venmo and, and, you know, really get out of the paper process. So we've got a push that we call digital transformation and also enhancing the patient digital experience because I think consumers are going to demand, hey, I can do this, you know, so efficiently with airlines and do scheduling and different things like that, that how do we move, change ourselves from a traditional academic to this very pliable consumer a friendly organization that can make that happen. And the benefit of that is it increases our price elasticity on some of our services if we're easy to use. I think uh, in healthcare, sometimes it's a struggle to get access. Well, how do we get into the iPhone in a different way? And we're, we're an epic shop, but we're not uh, going to have that be the only way patients can interface with us. So what's, what's easiest for the patient? How do they get the information they need from us? How can they self-schedule and move themselves forward? So a lot about digital transformation. And we, we define success by how, how many touches do we reduce not only our internal uh, workforce, but our customers and our patients. Um, you know, is it six clicks to get through or can we make that be just one? And how do we, we streamline that interaction and have transparency in the process? Got it. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Oh, you as well. Thanks for having me.